and welcome back to a spanking brand new episode of Grumpy Old Game Men and Their Dogs. It is episode 81, day 116. My name is Patrick Finn, but I am not here with Tommy Gibbons tonight. He is indisposed. Maybe he'll tell you about it the next time he's on here. But tonight I am joined by the indefatigable Avery Bryce Dallas Howard Powell. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us tonight, Bryce. Thank you for having me. And what have you been up to lately? What have I been up to? I've been up to working, rehearsing, you know, the uh, usual. But we're going to talk more about your rehearsing yeah, later. exactly. But work's good. Work's going well. I saw a friend of ours in front of the show, John Steele, at lunch today. Ah, cool. We had lunch with the EAs, and he graced us with his presence. Oh, lovely. He's doing well. And how is your other half, Indy? Indy's doing very well. Yeah. He is finally at a completely, mostly, remote job. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, good for her. Doing what's called CAS assessments. Oh, wow. I can't remember what it stands for. It's okay. Something assessment system. Okay, yeah. Just an acronym. Just... Yeah, some backronym, redundant, you know. CATS assessment, now and forever. <laughs> on Broadway for 20 years. <laughs> right. So, nothing else going on, then? No, nothing that I can think of. Okay, like I said, we'll talk more about what you're rehearsing in a little while. Yeah, it'll all come up later. But I guess I'll share some news with the audience and with you tonight. We broke a couple of records this past week. Ooh. We have now surpassed over 5,000 downloads on, for our podcast. Very nice. In fact, I can give you an exact number right as of right now tonight. We're at, officially at 5,036 downloads. Ooh, very nice. Right. And also, this has been our best month, April, this April. Our last time, our last best month was April of last year. But this year so far for April, we have over 511 downloads, and the month's not even over yet. I know. I can remember when we were celebrating 100 downloads. Right? It feels like just yesterday. Yeah, My God. exactly. So we've come a long way. I can tell you, like, the last time we were celebrating 3,000 downloads, that was in October of last year. Oh God. And we were being listened to in 43 U.S states and 29 countries as of today it's still the same number of states 43 but we are now up to 39 countries where we're listening Ooh. to the top countries uh, where we're listening to are the uk india canada germany australia singapore huh. new zealand and brazil those bigger than the u.s well no no that u.s is the biggest of all oh, okay but without saying sense. you know but the top states are New York, of course, which is not a surprise. Obviously. Followed by Florida. Huh. I guess they need an escape from all the shit going on down there. God, who doesn't? Pennsylvania. Kansas. Jesus yeah, so, so there are some people in Topeka, Kansas, who really love us. They've been downloading loads of our episodes at once. So that's it's a good book to hear. Club, but for podcasts. And that's followed by Alabama. Alabama? Yeah. And, <laughs> and then uh, last in that list is California. Oh, California is another one that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when I saw Florida and Kansas and Alabama, yes. I was like, wow. But those are the top states, you know. Yeah, of course. We're hurting 43 of them. So so I'm really happy with that. Yeah, that's very impressive. And I don't want to hear Tommy saying anymore, oh, no, he listens to the podcast. <laughs> 
He's great for saying that. Of course. I uh, call it his catchphrase. Yes, now. exactly. So we'll now move on to our first segment of the evening. <coughs> yes, it's time for a little heavy petting. Ooh. Do you like our new sound effect for I that? I very much enjoy the new sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for the top of the top of this segment, we have news about outdoor dining with dogs. Ooh. It seems that the Food and Drug Administration has now updated its food code, and it explicitly states that health rules allow for pet dogs in outdoor dining areas where approved. Okay. So basically, dogs are still aren't allowed indoors or anywhere where food is prepared, even to walk through to an outdoor patio. Yes. But there's an outdoor patio, I guess, like right in front of the restaurant entrance. You can bring your pet dog in there. Very nice. Of course, the exception to that is service dogs, which are pretty much allowed inside restaurants as well. But that does not include emotional support dogs. They face the same restrictions that regular dogs do. Yes. So, so different kinds of dogs. People think that they're one and the same, and they're yeah. not. And, but if a restaurant allows dogs in, it cannot discriminate based on breed. Good. So if it allows one type of dog in, it's got to allow all types of dogs in. Good. You I'm know? Glad to hear that. Yeah, exactly. As a fierce defender of pit bulls, I am very glad to hear that they must let all dogs in. Yeah, exactly. That's the way it should be. Uh, yes. As long as it's a well-trained, well-behaved dog, there shouldn't be an issue. Yes, as long as they're trained. And of course, cats and other pets are still not allowed in restaurants unless they're service animals. Yes. But you'll be happy to know that New York State and 22 other states officially allow dogs in outdoor patio areas of restaurants. Excellent. So this won't be a major change in law in half the country yeah. at least. You know, so that's some good news. In our next news segment, I have to ask you about something. Have you ever eaten dog? No, I have not. No? I don't believe I've ever eaten dog. <laughs> okay. Have you ever gone to a restaurant where they serve dog? Not in my adult life. Ah, then I guess you've never been to South Korea. Surprisingly enough. Okay. No, I have not. Well, it seems that there was some controversy there recently when the wife of the president of South Korea said that she would make an effort to end dog meat consumption for the, dura for the duration of her husband's uh, term, which ends in 2027. Okay. She and her husband are known pet lovers. They have six dogs and five cats. So it seems that eating dog is a centuries-old practice in Korea. Yes. But there have been growing calls to outlaw it by animal rights campaigns. And also it's kind of fallen out of favor, especially with younger people. Yes. Thus they're not brought up with that. So now, farmer, they are, believe it or not, there are dog farmers. They actually That's have farms, I guess, that breed dogs. For consumption. That's insane. So they're basically saying, well, if you're going to do this, you know, allow them to maintain their businesses for at least the next 15 to 20 years until the older people who are the main source of the yeah. asking for the dog meat die off. Okay. So, so they're still working on that. But I did not know about 1 million dogs are slaughtered annually for food in South Korea. Oh my God. Yeah. Gee, that's, that's unfathomable. Right? I... 
But we don't want to sound xenophobic, like we no. said. It is part of their culture. Yeah, the so. same way that, you know, rabbit is over here. Yeah. So I can't really, as a rabbit owner and somebody who's consumed rabbit in the past, I can't really speak on, you know, people eating dogs. It does not seem to be my purview. No, definitely not. But definitely a not. million is just... That's a lot of dogs. So many more dogs than I thought. Right, yeah. I was like, I was astonished by that number. Yeah, that's... And that's actually, that's a decrease. It used to be, at the height, it used to be like two to three million annually. I'm, yeah, I guess if you look at the numbers of like beef in the U.S., it's probably yeah, very right? similar. Yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. So that's the story of dog eating in South Korea. That was something. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to move on to our next segment. Happy birthday. Many happy returns. A very happy birthday. Yes, it's time for today's birthdays. My favorite. Yes, and I know you've already seen who the birthday celebrant is. I have. I came in earlier. But I, I'll read out her bio and for our, for our audience. They can guess until I give her name. She was born in San Antonio, Texas, April 26, 1933. Her family eventually moved to Hollywood. She studied acting at UCLA. She later moved to New York to pursue a theatrical career, but she was cast in a minor role on the Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney show. I'm sure you have no idea what that show is. Not a single clue. Jerry Mahoney was a puppet. Okay. Okay, so there was a whole puppet show. I caught the tail end of it in my younger years. Yeah. Uh, but this was in 1955. Okay. She then got to star in a short-lived sitcom named Stanley with Buddy Hackett from okay. 1956 to 57. But her first real success came in 1959 when she appeared in the Broadway musical Once Upon a Mattress, for which she was nominated for a Tony Award. Huh. I did not know that... Our celebrant was nominated for a Tony. Yes. Wow. Yes, she was. Uh, she later became a regular cast member of the Gary Moore Show at, until like 1962. And she actually won an Emmy Award in 1959 for her performance on the show. Huh. Then from 1967 to 1978, she led a variety show on CBS that included her, Vicki Lawrence, Lyle Wagner, Tim Conway, and Harvey Corman. Of course, I'm talking about Carol Burnett. Yes. 90 years old today. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's amazing. She has won a total of six Emmy Awards, a Special Tony Award, a Grammy Award, seven Golden Globes. She was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005. Huh. And in 2013, she was awarded the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. Okay, what did she win the Grammy for? Uh, I think it was a spoken word recording of uh, one of her memoirs. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that was in, like, 2017. I forget the title of it, but that's what she got that for. That makes sense, yeah. So she's she's a, what, an EGT. She's not an EGOT. Yeah. But Emmy, Grammy, and Tony winner. There's time yet. Yes, there is. Still, she's still got time. Someone cast her in a movie. <laughs> Quick, my God. <laughs> right? So, to Cal Burnett, we say... Happy birthday, Carol. Happy birthday. <laughs> we now move on to our next segment. Yes, it's time for Bring Out Your Dead. Ooh. And we have two decedents on the list this week. Okay. 
the first one died on April 22nd of the, this year, of this month, this week. He was born on February 17th, 1934 in Australia. He was a comedian and an actor. In 2003, he voiced the character of Bruce the Shark in Finding Nemo. But he is best known for playing Dame Edna Everidge. Do you know his name? I, I know who it is. I can't remember his name for the his actual f- name is Barry Humphrey. That's right, Barry Humphrey. Yes. Fuck. I actually had the pleasure of seeing him perform as Dame Edna twice really? on Broadway. He, uh, he had two uh two separate shows on Broadway. We saw both of them. Oh, that sounds In fact the one time we saw Paul Newman and Joanne Wood were in the audience <laughs> with us. That's that's a whole other story. The stories that you have I know, <laughs> right? Insane. But Dame Edna oh my god, she was hysterical. So so funny. I was I was so glad to be able to get to see her finally perform live. Yeah. That was really it was a lot of fun. But yeah, he died I think the age of 89. He uh was married four times and had four children and he died from complications from hip surgery. Really? Yeah. Huh. But yeah, so very sad, but thank you very much for the last there Barry Humphreys and yeah. Dame Edna. Dame Edna. Right? Of course, if you're in Florida, you may want to listen to this in a closet so no one hears you talking about a drag performer. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Get those headphones out. Jesus. Yes. Then the second decedent on our list tonight died only yesterday at the age of 96. Born March 1st, 1927. Talking, of course, about singer, actor, activist Harry Belafonte. Yeah, this one hit me. Who we just discussed a month ago for his birthday. Yeah. You know? I don't want to talk about a lot of things we talked about before about him, of course. His 1956 album, Calypso, which contained the Banana Boat song, yep. or Deo. That topped the Billboard charts for 31 weeks and oh made uh, made him the first platinum-selling recording artist in the industry's history. Oh, my God. With sales exceeding a million copies. And he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2022. Uh, what a lot of people don't know about is is really is activism that he's been involved in. Yeah. From, like, like from the very beginning. He was good friends since, like, the 1950s with Martin Luther King Jr. He actually put up the bail money to have Martin Luther King Jr. released from the Birmingham jail. I did not know that one. He also bailed out many student actors. Activist. He supported the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee during the 60s, for which he put up a share of the founding funds. In 1964, he and his best friend, Sidney Poitier, were chased by the KKK as they were delivering $70,000 in cash in Mississippi to support a voter registration drive during the Freedom Summer. My God. He's also responsible for bringing in Marlon Brando and Charlton Heston and film director Joseph Mankiewicz and other famous performers to participate in the 1963 March on Washington. Oh, wow. And he was also known for... He brought a, there were a couple of controversial moments involving him. He had a role in the 1957 film Island in the Sun, which garnered controversy because of his character's flirting with a white woman, played by Joan Fontaine. Oh, how dare he! In fact, a member of the South Carolina legislature introduced a bill seeking to fine theaters showing the film. I'm shocked, I tell you, shocked. Right? South Carolina? He then appeared on a 1968 Petula Clark TV special. And at one point, I guess they, they sang a song together, and she placed her hand on his arm, <gasps> which set off a brouhaha. Oh, 
Like, how dare God. a white woman touching a black man? How dare she? Right? My God. But also, for those of you who know the song, We Are the World, are you familiar with that song? I am familiar with it. I love We Are the World. For those of you who are not familiar with it, this was a song that was recorded, I believe, in 1985. It was recorded in response to a bunch of British musicians getting together and recording the song called Do They Know It's Christmas, which was, ra yeah. which was raising funds for the famine in Africa at the time. So there was this American counterpart. And who organized it? Harry Belafonte. Really? And it's got it's got Michael Jackson in it. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Cindy, you name it. They're in there. And they're the artists of that time period. Anyone was in it. I didn't realize he organized it. I always thought yeah. it was Michael who organized that. Nope, he organized it. Wow, yeah. okay. He's the one who came up with the idea for it. That's, I and honestly, a brilliant song. Right? I listen to that song to this day. Yeah. So that's a little bit more about Harry Belafonte that we didn't know before. Yeah. I thought people should know more about his activist side. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So rest in peace there, Harry Belafonte. Yes, thank you for the music. We now move on to our next segment. Today in History! And today in history, this show opened April 26, 1970, with a book by George Firth, Harold Prince directing, music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, Michael Bennett handling the choreography, and Elaine Stritch in one of the lead roles. Oh, company. We're talking about company. Uh, I For love. those of you not familiar with company, here's a little snippet. Yeah. Oh, dear, Bobby. Bobby. But uh, yeah, that's the opening number from Company, which was at the time considered a revolutionary musical at the uh, time. Absolutely. This whole presentation, the way it tells the story of Bobby. Yeah. Who's played originally by Robert Morse on Broadway. Yes. Yep. And of course has the famous number of the Ladies Who Lunch, sung by Elaine Stritch and uh. Countless actresses afterwards. Of course. Yeah, I've I saw the not the re not the most recent company revival where they made Bobby a woman. Yeah, I saw the other one where the actors were also also the musicians. Yes, that in was the production. Raul Esparza, right? Yes, Raul yeah, Esparza. He, he played Bobby, Bobby yeah. who is fantastic because all during the show he does not play an instrument at all. All the other yeah. actors do. It's not until the very end when it's his number being alive, and then he sits at the piano and plays. Yeah, that was. It was an incredible production. It was really. It was amazing to see that. I if it's my first off, it's my favorite Sondheim. I absolutely love Company, and if I ever need to cry. I watch the documentary that they filmed of the original cast recording, and when they get to being alive and he sings it, I cry every time oh. I watch it. That's my, like, if I'm like, uh, I can be sad today. <laughs> my favorite number in the show is uh, Side by Side slash What Would We Do Without You. That's very good. Great opening act two number. Oh my god, yeah. Right? My, I really like Sorry Grateful. I think that might be my That's favorite. That's great. There's so many great numbers in that yeah. show. Oh, oh my absolutely. god. The, the, the pitter pattern 
number. I'm not getting. I won't be. I'm not getting not married, getting married today. today. Oh my god, what a great number that god. is! And Madeline Kahn's version. Yes. Oh, oh that's fantastic, god. right? Definitely. So yeah. So happy anniversary to company. Happy anniversary, right? company. Fifty-three years ago. Oh my Can you god! Imagine that. Fifty-three, 53. years ago. Oh, and just so I don't forget, it won six Tony Awards, including Best Musical. Good. It Had deserves to it. That. Had to mention that. But that wasn't the only show that opened today on Broadway. Two shows about hookers opened today <laughs> on uh, in Broadway history. The first one was in 1926. The play was called Sex. It was written by a woman under the pseudonym named Jane Mast. Her actual name was... May West. Oh. And she started it, wrote the show, and um, it, was, it played on Broadway for 375 performances. Oh, wow. It was condemned and got criticism, you know, got critically bad reviews. Oh, of course. It was about pimps and prostitutes and adultery and corruption, and it did not go over well. Oh, I can't imagine. But it was the only play on Broadway that season to stay open through the summer and into the following year. Huh. But in February of 1927, the New York Police Department closed it down and charged Mae West and the company with obscenity. After 325,000 people had already seen the show. Of course. <laughs> and she was actually sentenced to 10 days in jail. Uh, and of course, her notoriety became even bigger after that. Huge. But that wasn't the only show about hookers that opened today in history. <laughs> There was also this show. You gotta use what you got to, to get what you want to before what you got is gone. You gotta reach for that ring while you're on that ride. How long does that ride go on? Do you recognize the song? No. Wow. That is from a show, a musical called The Life. I don't know it. Not familiar with it. No. Wow. It was, let me find my information on it. Where the hell was I? I'm lost now. Oh, here it is. It's a book by David Newman, music by Cy Coleman. Ooh. Yeah, and it's all about uh, basically the underbelly of Times Square at 42nd Street before mm. Disney took it over. So it's all about pimps and prostitutes and druggies and drug dealers. And it climaxes with the Hooker's Ball, which is an annual event. And I, I think it was an actual event Ooh. at the time. I don't know if they still do it. And it starred that voice you heard. That was Sam Harris. Who was the first winner of a TV show called Star Search that was hosted by Ed McMahon, who was the co-host of yeah. the Johnny Carson show? Yes, yeah, so and that was and that was his big break on Broadway. Huh. Was doing the life. What year did you say that opened? That was in 1997. Okay. So roughly, yeah, that was 90, yeah, was it 97? I think it was 97, yeah. Yeah, it'll be 26. Yeah, so basically like 70 years after sex opened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's to the hookers on Broadway. Here, here. <laughs> and now we move on to our next segment. What day is it? Could you play to me? What day is it? I've got Tuesday. Yes, it's time for What Day Is It? Oh, I love What Day Is It? You may not like this one. Ooh. Today is Confederate Memorial Day. Yes. <laughs> this actually ties into 
something I'll bring up later. Okay. This is a holiday that originated on a local level by some ladies' memorial associations to care for the graves of Confederate dead. And it was then became a holiday to commemorate the 258,000 Confederate soldiers who died during the American Civil War. It is actually an official state holiday in Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina, but is also commemorated in Kentucky... Florida, yeah. North Carolina, Texas, and Tennessee. Okay. I was not familiar with this holiday until I was researching holidays for today and stuff. And I was like, really? They're still celebrating this in states today? I mean, I knew that it was celebrated in the early 1900s, but I wasn't aware that it was still going on. It obviously, it must be still going on. That's, it's still listed as a holiday and stuff, you that's know? That's insane. Yeah. Who wants to celebrate losing a war? Like, who wants to celebrate people who fought a war to defend slavery? Exactly. You know? It's, it's, uh, I, it's asinine to me. So, yeah, I saw it as like, oh, yeah, I got to bring that up on the podcast. Yeah, I, uh, That's like, well, let's have a Benedict Arnold day while we're at it, you know? Hey, what a great idea. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, Wild behavior from people. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, what the fuck? Right? Yeah, I saw it. I was like, really? Do they, what do they do? They, do they re, do reenactments? Do they have parades with people marching in Confederate uniforms? I mean, I... What do they do? You'd have to imagine there's a parade, I, right? I, I don't want to imagine. I, neither know? do I, but like... But it wouldn't surprise me. Oh, no, it would not, not surprise me. Well, we normally do turn your head and cough, but we don't have anything to report in that area tonight. Ooh. So tonight we're going to go into our alternate segment. How about a little round of Get the Guests? How about that? How about a little game of Get the Guests? Yes, it's time to play Get the Guests. Ooh. Of course, our guest tonight is Avery Bryce, Dallas Howard Pal. Hello, that's me. <laughs> so, Bryce, you mentioned before you were in rehearsals. What are you in rehearsals for? I am currently rehearsing two shows, the first of which is... The Complete Works of William Shakespeare, Abridged. Okay. The second show that I'm doing, a little bit less known, is called The Shape of Things. Both Neil of you play. Yes, I absolutely love it. I read it and I fell in love with it. It's absolutely crazy. I won't spoil it here. Okay. Well, let me ask about the first show first, I guess. Yes. The Shakespeare, uh, how many different roles are you playing in that? Uh, <clears throat> too many... To count. Yes. <laughs> Three actors who do... All the plays of Shakespeare. The complete in, works of William in Shakespeare. In basically 90 minutes. Yeah, in about 90 minutes. And, you know, we run through it like absolute maniacs. And it is one of the funnier shows that I have seen, let alone performed. Okay. You can, you can find video of it, I think, on oh, YouTube. Oh, sure, and stuff. yeah. There's everywhere. But uh, me and the two other actors who are in it, Chris Wadalowski and Teddy Plesia, are having an absolute ball working on it. And if it's half as fun to come and see as it is to even put together, let alone perform, it will be one of the funnest and funniest shows that I have ever done. Now, I assume there's not a lot of costume changes in this, or there's no set, really, or anything like that? Well, you'd be incorrect <clears throat> about the Oh, costumes. really? Okay. Well, insofar as, like, running off stage, throwing on a coat or a wig, okay. and coming back on. Yeah. Right? Because we're going to be mostly dressed in upscale street clothes, one could say. Yeah. 
Because in the show we're playing ourselves. Okay. But there's really not a lot of set. I think the set we're putting up is two curtains. Oh, so okay. we have space to run backstage and grab little costumes and props. But the costumes and props is honestly where a lot of the show lives. Because, you know, not everybody can do a million different voices to play all of these characters. Right. So, and it'll get confusing that way. So we're relying on like, oh, you're playing a woman in this scene. Run off, grab a bad wig and run back on with it on, you know? Or like in one scene, we do the show Titus Andronicus in which the title character is missing one hand. Yes. And his daughter. I played that role. Yes, you have. (laughs) I was in that one with you. Yes, you were. And his daughter is missing both of her hands. Oh, yes. So we have to run off, put mittens on our hands, and come back on and perform the whole scene in mittens. And then in the next breath, we're performing the tragedies. So it's, you know, run off, change again, come back on. So it's a very kinetic and much more... Physically demanding. Yeah, than I, was I thought it was about the physicality be. of the show. Yeah, a, there's a lot of physical comedy, which I knew going in, but just the simple amount of cardio that gets done <laughs> by coming on and off stage is staggering. I'm sure, right? Yeah. Now, do you go in any particular order with the Shakespeare plays? Um, no, not particularly. Okay. We start off and finish with two of the better-known shows. Okay. The show starts with Romeo and Juliet, and then kind of everything else gets lumped together in the middle. We run through a bunch of them in the next ten minutes, and then the entirety of Act Two is just Hamlet. Okay. Which is this big production with audience participation and running and screaming. But much of the other stuff outside of Titus Andronicus, the Scottish play, and I believe that's it, are the only other two that are mentioned or done Okay, as one little vignette of its own. Yeah. A lot of the stuff, like all of the comedies are lumped together right, really quick. Well, so many are similar in plot lines. They all have the same exact plot. Mistaken identities, love interests. Cross-dressing female character. Of course. And in the end, it's all fine and everyone gets married to each other. And then all the histories get lumped together. Because why spend 20 minutes doing 20 histories when you can spend five minutes doing one? Right. And a lot of the tragedies are done very quickly with just a reference. Um, So it's a very, very abridged... Yeah. Complete works. But it is... Now, just so people know, because people hear Shakespeare, they're like, oh, it's sleeping time. It's like, this is supposed to be a comedy, the whole thing. Yes. It's you a, know? It's a comedy performed by three actors who are performing as themselves, who are presenting this pretend kind of piece of theater. Right. And it's... You know, it's all modern day speech, except the quotes from Shakespeare, which you're going to have to do. Of course. But it is very modern. It's very quippy and it's very funny. I would not compare it to any other Shakespeare media okay. that's been done. You know, it's it's not like we're on stage in these big frilly yeah. neck pieces and, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. We're, yeah, we're not doing Elizabethan era Shakespeare. <laughs> no, my God. No, we're making fun of Shakespeare while making fun of ourselves and it's a very good time very cool 
Yes. So where is this being done? This is being done at South Shore Theater Experience. And where is that located? That is located uh, in Lindenhurst. On Wellwood Avenue. On Wellwood Avenue, yes. <laughs> I can give the whole address if you'd like. And when are the sh- what are the show dates? The show dates are the show dates for complete works are May nineteenth, May twenty first, May twenty fourth, twenty sixth, and twenty seventh. Ah. We had a lot of schedules to work around. Yes, I'm sure. So we're missing a Saturday, and we have a Wednesday instead of a Thursday. Wow. <laughs> Yes, I'm seeing a concert, someone's going away, somebody has work. Okay. So we really had to finagle to get six performances. I guess in. so, my God. <laughs> but it'll be it'll be worth it. Oh, Come. good. And they can go to the theater's website, of course, and reserve tickets. Yes, you can reserve tickets. I'm pretty sure tickets are available online for Complete Works, but not Shape of Things. Yet. Okay. Which we're going to talk about next. So tell us about The Shape of Things. The Shape of Things is... Kind of like, I think of it as a love story if everybody involved hated each other. Right. Nobody really gets along. It's four actors in it. It was originally done in 1999 on Broadway, starring Paul Rudd as the lead. Okay. And it's about this man who changes everything about himself for this woman who he is absolutely infatuated with. And it's four characters. It's the man, the woman, and then the man's two friends. Right. And the show kind of shows how much damage changing yourself as a person can do to the people around you. Okay. When you're in so fierce a pursuit of one thing that you have complete blinders on, right? And how not everything can be as it seems. There's a big twist at the end that I don't want to spoil. Well, yeah, because I think I've, if it's the same show that I saw that I remember, she sort of turns the tables on the main character. Yes, she... And makes it sort of a art-slash-media event. Yes, she absolutely ruins his life for a school project. And at that point, he's, you know, gotten surgery, cosmetic surgery done. He's lost weight. He's abandoned all of his friends. And it's just such a well-written show. And I think the message is really good, too, you know? Like, don't be an asshole to your friends just because (laughs) you're getting laid. (laughs) Good message, I guess. Yeah. And what character are you playing in this? I am playing Philip, who is uh, the lead's friend, right? I'm the lead. I was his college roommate, and, you know, we were really close for freshman year and now it's junior year and we still hang out but we're not as close and you know i get to be an asshole though okay which is very fun yes it is it's always fun to be an asshole on stage so fun to not have to worry about like oh is my character gonna be likable yeah no no it's not supposed to be (laughs) oh my god i love it when people hate me on stage exactly it's so nice to just be able to i just played a psychotic racist with one hand yeah you know People liked me. (laughs) That was so good. So funny. My God. But like, yeah, I get to be just this like woman hating, holier than thou prick. Yeah. And it's so, it's such a relief. It seems like a lot of Neil debut plays are like that though. Yeah. He kind of, he kind of has a theme. Yeah. Right. But it's a lot of fun to get to do. So I'm thankful he wrote them. You know? And who are your other actors in this production? My other actors are uh, Teddy Plesia, who is also in Complete Works with me. Okay. Uh, Rosie Collette, who 
has done another show with me, As You Like It. Okay. Uh, funnily enough, also playing my partner in this show. She played the other romantic lead in As You Like It, so ah, we excellent. get to That's right. be together again. Fantastic. I just had the pleasure of working with her, so... Yes, she's a, she's a wonder to work with. Yes, yeah, she is. Absolutely. Very hilarious. good actress. And going to mispronounce this, <laughs> and I feel awful... But our other actress who is playing Teddy's love interest, the one who, you know, ruins his life at the end, um, is MJ Viat. Okay. I believe that's how it's pronounced. Okay. Don't nail me too cross about it. (laughs) If you ever hear this, MJ. Or any friends of MJ. Yes. And by the way, what theater is this at? This is at South Shore Theatre Experience. Oh, the same place where you can see Shakespeare Bridge. Yes, in Lindenhurst on Wellwood Avenue. Excellent. And what are the dates for that show? The dates for that show... I know it is June. Okay, the dates for that show are June 9th, 10th, and 11th, as well as 15th, 16th, and 17th. Oh, wow, you got a ways to go yet on that. Yes, but at least that one's on a regular schedule. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the usual Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday, yes. <laughs> but that one's a ways away, and I don't have to particularly worry about it yet. Yeah, exactly. And I'm only in three scenes, and one of them I have four lines, so... Ah. I'm not particularly concerned about that one. I think you'll be able to handle that pretty, pretty I, well. Let's hope. Right? I mean, after Shakespeare. My God. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the real challenge for you. Oh, my God. Between the modern-day lexicon and then switching back and forth, yeah. I have to do probably the second most famous Shakespeare, Hamlet monologue. I have to do What a Piece of Work is Man. Ah, great soliloquy. It's a phenomenal soliloquy, but it's a beast to look at. So between that and then playing every woman in the show, it is going to be a hell of a time. Are you playing are you playing Lady M? No, I no. Lady M is not included. Really? Yeah. Wow, I, I'm surprised. It's just cuz it's so condensed. It is literally just King Macbeth and Macduff. Yeah. And it's done uh, in a minute and a half. Tops. Uh, okay, I guess I'll come see it anyway. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, I play Juliet and I do a Miss Piggy. So. Oh my god. Good You'll Lord. have to be there to see it. Yeah, I guess so. <coughs> All right, looking forward to seeing both of them. I'm looking forward to putting both of them on. Good. I'm quite excited. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing with us and our audience. Thank you for listening to me drone on. <laughs> We now move on to our next segment, wherein we take a look into my briefs. And this will be a quick look into my briefs today. Ooh. Because there's really no major cases coming up right now or anything. But I'm sure we've all been familiar with the news about Clarence Thomas and his unethical or allegedly unethical practices of receiving gifts and paid vacations from a rich political donor for over 20 years that he claims is his good friend. Yeah. And I think it came out today that actually there's an actual case involving this man's company that went up on appeal before the Supreme Court. And Clarence Thomas did not recuse himself from the case. Really? Yes. And now we're also finding out about Neil Gorsuch, one of the associate justices. Yes. 
He, on his federal disclosure form, reported a land uh, deal where he sold land. Okay. But, as required by federal law, he failed to report who he sold the land to. Oh. And it turned out to be another rich corporate political donor whose company has had about 22 cases before the Supreme Court. Of course. So, of course, now Congress and a lot of other people are yelling about the why aren't these justices following federal judicial ethics. And unfortunately, or, yeah, unfortunately, there is a federal code of judicial ethics, but it's applicable to all federal judges except the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes, because they are the final word on the law, and that means they're above it, according to them. Yeah. So, anyway, the Senate Judiciary Committee, which, of course, is led by a Democrat, as opposed to the House Judiciary Committee, which is led by a Republican, the Senate Judiciary Committee, invited Chief Justice Roberts to comment on judicial ethics and any reforms in judicial ethics as being applied to the Supreme Court. Well, Roberts turned down the invitation. Yes, I had heard that one. Saying that testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee by the Chief Justice is exceedingly rare, as one might expect in light of separation of powers concerns and the importance of preserving judicial independence. Now, as far as I know, uh, Chief Justice has only testified like once or twice before, before Congress. He also attached a statement on ethics principles and practice to which he said that all of the current members of the Supreme Court subscribe. And supposedly all the U.S. Supreme Court members signed this statement. So apparently Roberts thinks that no, we do not have to answer to anybody concerning what we're doing in our court. Which is absolutely asinine. To think that you're... You're already tainted by the appearance of impropriety. Yes. And that's one of the things. You, As a judge, you cannot even have the appearance no. of impropriety. That's why these judges recuse themselves from cases where they know that there is a potential conflict of interest yes. or a potential bias in favor of one party because of your relationship with them. So it's, it's up to Congress now to do something about this. Yeah. And unfortunately, right now, we have a divided Congress, so it doesn't appear much is going to get done. Yeah, nothing is going to get done because everybody refuses to work together. Yeah, yeah. But just the idea that this court really thinks that they are answerable to no one on any of these issues, I just think is a little bit arrogant, to say the least. Absolutely. I mean, it's like you're letting your court go down in flames yeah. with all these re- news reports. And like I said, whether they're innocent or not, like I said, even the appearance of impropriety is wrong. In any is court, wrong. let alone the highest court in the land. Yeah, you, exactly. You simply can't let this just float away. No. It's not going to. I no, mean, it's not. The public's faith in the court is It's at its lowest. It's at its lowest it's ever been. Yeah, I was going to it's absolutely in the basement. And after this, I can't imagine that they would think, oh, well, that doesn't matter. If you had a shred of self-awareness at all, you would have to think, at any other time, Thomas would have resigned after the, such revelations. Yep. Or any other justice prior to this era would have resigned. Not anymore. No. no. No one has any shame about what they do or do not do. They just cling to power. Yep, absolutely. That's all they care about. Yeah. It's a, re- it's a shame. It's a shame that it's happening at the Supreme Court. Yeah, that's... You know, the one body that everyone counted on to, to be above politics, to be above the corruption. Yep. And it's just as tainted as everything else. Oh, absolutely. You know? 
And that's the shame of it. So anyway, on that sad note, let's move on to a more happy topic. Yes, it's time for the Weekend Fascism! And we actually have some good news this week in the Week of Fascism. Ooh. As you know, I don't know, are you familiar with everything that's been going on in Florida between Governor Ron DeSantis and the Walt Disney Company? I have a vague familiarity with it. Well, let me I... refresh your memory and our listeners. Back in March of last year, when the Florida legislature and DeSantis were proposing this state education law that became as the Don't Say Gay Bill, yep. the Disney Corporation came out with a, the Disney Company came out with a statement opposing this law. Yes. So, Governor DeSantis had a hissy fit and decided he was going to take over this governing board that's appointed by the governor under the law that, I guess, oversees Disney, Disney World in Florida. Yes. And he basically removed everyone who was on the board and appointed new ones. Yeah. But before those new ones took power, Disney had the board of governors enter into a legal agreement, and from which Disney says that proper notice was given under the law and everything, in which basically the governing board ceded most of its governing powers to Disney, the Disney yes. company. As far as the Disney World property. So, DeSantis had a hissy fit about that. Of course. And he threatened that they were going to build maybe an amusement park on the adjoining property. Or state prison on the adjoining state property. God. And they're going to raise taxes on toll roads that go uh, lead up to Disney World. And so, today, the Disney company filed a lawsuit against Governor DeSantis and wow. others in the Florida government alleging a targeted campaign of government retaliation in violation of the company's First Amendment rights. Oh, beautiful. And i got to say, after seeing what they've been doing, they've got a good, I think they've got a good argument. Yeah. You know, they're being singled out for their opposition. Absolutely. You know? Even as somebody who, has, who doesn't know shit about shit about the law, it's so fucking obvious. Right? That, like, this is retaliation. Yeah, There's of course it is. No way that it wasn't. And it's, it's just, it's, a, it's not, it's going to become a losing battle for him. Oh, yeah. Disney's the largest state employer. Oh, my God, yeah. What are you going to do if Disney says, fuck you, we're going to move to Puerto Rico, which could use a boost in their, its economy, and we're going to take our 75,000 jo uh, 75, uh, jobs with us? Yep. You know? What are they going to say then? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's probably the biggest taxpayer in Florida. Absolutely. You know? So it's it's gonna be this is a losing battle for DeSantis. He oh, never yeah. should have started it in the first place. But then we move on to a not so great story, and this concerns Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr. Yes. Uh for those of you who are not familiar with her, she is a representative in the Montana State Legislature, and they were debating a bill which would ban transgender medical care for young people, for minors. Yes. And during, I guess, the debate, she made a statement along the lines of, well, the next time that you have a, you know, a prayer or, or an invocation here, you know, take a look at the blood on your hands. Well, apparently that was too shocking for the temperaments of the Republican members of the state legislature. So first, they voted to ban her from speaking. Now, today, they voted to ban her from the floor of the state legislature 
for about two weeks. She can vote on matters via remote voting, yeah. but she cannot speak on the floor of the legislature. Which is absolutely insane. And it's like, this comes after what happened in Tennessee, where you voted to remove the two black out of the three people, the two you remove the two black people and not the white woman. You remove them from office, and then they get put back in anyway. Yeah. It's like, you're losing these battles on these so-called violations of decorum. Yeah. You're which, making martyrs out of these people now. Yeah, it, which, aside from absolutely fascistic behavior, it has been a PR nightmare for Tennessee. From, and Montana. And Montana. Yeah, like, Montana. Did we learn nothing from what happened to the Republican Party of Tennessee? It's been, it was the worst thing they possibly could have done. Yeah. And Montana looks at it and thinks, oh, you know what? I want to do exactly what they did because we'll be different. Right. It's absolutely insane Yeah, they thought they could get away with that behavior. And the fact is I watched some of the hearing where they voted to censor her or whatever and the way they were deadnaming her yeah. and misgendering uh, her. Yeah. I was like what a bunch of fuckheads. You can't even give a fellow le legislator that respect. Right? And like the common courtesy that you're actively throwing out the window to do that, right? Because it's, and not that this would excuse it any, it's not as if she, you know, has not started a transition, has not done any vocal training. You know, she looks and presents and speaks for all intents and purposes like any cis woman on that floor. Yeah. So you need to be going out of your way to think about the fact that this is a trans person to be that nasty and disrespectful. It's absolutely insane that these people have to think so hard and so backwards to just be these absolute fucking monsters. Yeah. It's, I, I just have no fucking words. I know. I know. It's just, like I said, you've made a martyr now, this trans person. Yeah. You know, it's it can only reflect badly on you. Yeah, it's gonna come back and fucking bite you. Yeah, it it has not happened any differently in Tennessee. What do you think's gonna happen here? And in the meantime, you're depriving the people of her district any real voice yeah. in that legislature now for the next two weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, the people of her district are the ones who voted her in, Patrick. They yeah. don't want them to have a voice anyway. I know. They don't want that voice in. Yeah, obviously not. The Montana floor. Ugh, I tell you, I tell you. There ought to be a law! <coughs> oh, God. <laughs> And on that note, we'll now move on to our next segment. Yes, it's time for We Like to Watch. Ooh. But before we get into what we like to watch, I think we should be celebrating the demise of Tucker Carlson and his yes. removal from Fox News. Oh, absolutely. What a, a great day for television journalism, in the even in the sorry state that it's in. Oh, yeah. It's thrilling. It was a piece of bright news to wake up to and read this morning. The only TV quote-unquote journalist who have been fired from all three cable news networks now. A really? Yeah, he worked for CNN in the beginning, yep. then MSNBC, huh. and then Fox. I didn't know he was on MSNBC. I see. I remember him from the CNN days when yeah. he was his 
bow tie wearing tweed trying to come across like William F. Buckley. Yeah, and he was just a oh, he was just so little peevish guy. I didn't yeah. like him at all. I didn't like him then. I sure as hell didn't like him in his white supremacist act on Fox News. Oh channel. yeah, you know Which, he was just disgusting. Oh yeah, he was a fucking monster. There's this great video of him being confronted, I forget, or it's a restaurant or a fast food place, I'm not sure where it is, and this guy comes up to him saying, you are like the worst human being in the world. And it's like, <laughs> wow! Good. I'm going to see if I can find that clip, I'll post it on the bonus material. Oh, please. I saw some footage of him in an unaired interview with, uh, it was somebody, I believe they were Dutch. And I don't know if they were, like, an economist or, like, a political philosopher or whatever. But this Dutch interviewee was taking down pretty much everything that Tucker said. And he fucking lost Oh, it. I've seen that. Yeah, yes, I've seen this that. guy yes. out on... Yep, I've seen that. And it was never aired. No, I... yes, I just watched that, actually. That's very funny you mentioned that. So, yes, a good written stuff. Fucking Tucker Carlson, man. Bye. That's the last I ever have to look at his fucking face. Oh, I'm sure he's going to end up on, like, Newsmax or one of those other right-wing propaganda channels. Oh, yeah, that doesn't mean I'll have to fucking look at him. No, exactly, exactly. And then, surprisingly, on the same day that he was fired, Don Lemon was fired from CNN. Yes. Now, people think it's a result of him, of his little problems that he had on his morning show, and he made comments about when women are at the prime of their age and stuff. And he got in trouble for that, and he was forced to take a few days off, and he had to make amends. Yeah. First of all, I think his being sent to the morning show was a demotion anyway. Oh, yeah. He was on a primetime news channel. He had his own show on there, and now he's being sent to morning show. It's fucking morning? On CNN? Yes. Who's watching CNN first thing in the fucking morning? I mean, I don't watch TV in the morning, you know? No, absolutely not. I The only time I see the morning news is when I walk into work in the cafe. That's Yeah, that's about the only time I ever there. see. I never watch TV in the morning. It's just, ugh, I can't, no, I don't need that in the morning. It's too much. I'll sit down, I'll look at my news on my work computer, and everything's fine. Right? But overall, I wasn't that upset about Don Lemon being fired. I didn't think he was that good in the first place. No. The only time I liked him was when he was drunk on the New Year's Eve show. Because everyone's better <laughs> drunk on the right. show. But that was about it. So, sorry you lost your jo- job there, Don. I uh, hope you find something. Yeah, oh, I'm sure he I'm will. sure he will. He'll be I'm sure, all right. I'm sure he'll bounce back. So, yeah, I just had to acknowledge that. Yeah. So, what have you watched new this past week? I have watched, not TV, not movie, I saw three stage performances of note this past week. Oh, what did you go see? Uh, Wednesday night, I saw Parade on Broadway, starring Ben Platt and Michaela Diamond. And how was that? That was phenomenal. Yeah? Parade is one of my favorite shows. How was Ben Platt? Ben Platt was much better than I thought. Okay. I was worried about Ben Platt. Let me tell you, was I worried? Because, you know, we know him from his little nepotism show. Well, yeah. Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, I know. Which I am not a fan of. No, neither am I. But I love Jason Robert Brown. I love Yeah, Parade's a good musical. Really good show. It is probably my favorite musical, like, of all time. And it's such an important story. Um, For those of our listeners who don't know, Parade is the story of Leo Frank, who was a Jewish man accused in the early 1910s of murdering a 13-year-old girl named Mary Fagan and through sensational media and anti-Semitism in Georgia 
at the time he was found guilty. Now, he later had his sentence commuted from hanging to a life sentence, and he was being commuted to another prison when he was intercepted, or he might have been at the other prison, but he was abducted and hanged and lynched yeah. um, for the murder of this girl. And it is widely believed today that he did not kill this little girl, uh, and that it was a cleaner at the factory that he yeah, was Yeah, it was some handyman, of. I remember yeah, reading. named Jim Conley. Um, and this show dramatizes that story and tells it but not in this, you know, big melodramatic way. No, uh, it's, it's not. It's a beautiful show, and the music captures everything beautifully. Mm-hmm. And this actually ties into Confederate Memorial Day. Because <laughs> in the show, the girl, Mary Fagan, the actual name of the girl who died, yeah. was murdered on Confederate Memorial Day. Oh, in okay. actuality, it happened a month or two beforehand. Mm. But for the purposes of the show... And, you know, times had to be okay, changed. Okay, yeah. You know, everything has to be yeah, they just, for a show. Yeah, they consolidated the time frame. Yeah, but Ben Platt was very good. The highlight of the show, I think, there were two big highlights. The first one was Michaela Diamond, who played Lucille Frank. She is only marginally older than me. I want to say she's 28 or 29. And the control that this girl has over her voice... Really? Is, I think, on stage, she was better than the original cast recording, which is high praise for me because that cast recording is phenomenal. The acting was phenomenal, and just the powerhouse that she is to, you know, bring this character to life was absolutely insane. I thought Ben Platt was good, if a little one-note, right? He played Leo as an anxious Jew this whole time, which is... Fine, we all play ourselves now and then. But there's this moment in the show during the trial where Leo is supposed to become, like, this creep. This disgusting monster, right? Because it's being told through the perspective of the factory girls who are lying about him. And I was very disappointed in that number. Really? He never brings it, huh? No, he's, like, I... He never really brought that, like, skeezy vibe, which I think it's important to see, and not that, like, their perspective is important or matters in reality at all, right? Like, he was an innocent man, but I think... But you need to show what their perception was. Yeah, for the purposes of the show, it's important that, like, we see what is being sold to the people of Georgia, Mm -hmm. right? And we never got to see that. He was just kind of awkward and very kind of like a... Schlemiel the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Which works for the rest of the show. Yeah. Right? He's this awkward Jew who's born in Brooklyn and now he's in Georgia in the South. So he's this, you know, there's this weird tension, but he never brought it. Okay. Enough, the other highlight of the show was the actor playing Jim Conley. He was phenomenal. His voice absolutely blew me away. I cannot sing his praises enough. Skip the rest of the cast album. Listen listen to him on the cast album. Okay. He is, oh my God, absolutely out of this world. Stole the show in any time that he was on stage. Could not take my eyes off. His stage presence was absolutely amazing. Cool. And it's a very prescient show. If you can afford it, which who can these days? Yeah, I know. I know the price of Broadway tickets (laughs) now. I know. Yeah, but I would... Absolutely recommend it. It is a very moving show, done very well. They had um, images of the actual people projected onto the back of the stage. Like, they blew the theater out back to the break. Yeah. Which I love. I love it when they find a reason to show, like, the actual back of the theater. Right. And they blew it out to the brick, and they projected images of actual people. And at the end of the show, they projected an image of him hanging. Oh, wow. 
like during the scene where he hangs. Yeah. Um, and it was, oh my God. I can imagine. It was, and I've seen those photos before, right? I performed the show about six or seven years ago. Um, so I did my research then, uh, cause I was playing Frankie Epps, who's like the young Southern boy, yeah, you yeah, know? I remember, I saw yeah. that production. Yeah, I was playing him. So, but I wanted to do my research as a Jew. It was, it wasn't a story I knew. It's not a famous story. I think it should be, but like I went like into a deep dive in the research on it. So I had seen those pictures, but Indy who came with me had never seen those photos before. Oh, wow. And it was abs. It was like a holy shit moment. Yeah. And you could tell for a lot of people in the theater, like there was an audible gasp yeah, when that I'm picture sure. came up. But one of the better productions on Broadway right now, oh, I guarantee it. Cool. And what else did you see? I saw on Thursday Sweeney Todd. Ah, oh, with Josh Groban. Yes, with our good, with our good buddy Josh. And how was Josh? Josh played Josh Groban. Which uh, is not the wrong role to be playing in Sweeney Todd. Yes, yeah, I'm assuming all of our listeners should know the show Sweeney Todd. I would hope so by We've... now. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. <laughs> we are the that gr- gives you an idea of what the show's yeah. about. Yeah, we're grumpy old gay men. If you don't know the show, why are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know he's he's dark and brooding and hey, yeah my wife she's dead and I need, yeah. I need vengeance. Josh Groban played Josh Groban and it really dragged the rest of the show down. Uh, he didn't try for an accent. Didn't even try to do an accent. The show's Victorian London. Are you serious? No accent. It was just Josh Groban the whole show. Like. And it's my guy. Oh my god! How can you not do the accent? And that's the thing, right? Like, and there were there were a few stars in this show. It wasn't just Josh Groban. There was Gaten Gatton Maserato, okay, who's the kid with the curly hair from Stranger Things, okay. Uh, he was phenomenal. He played Toby. Blew it out of this world. I want. He had me crying yeah. during not while I'm around. I was sitting in my chair, weeping in this theater. Because of him and Annalie Ashford singing that song to each other. Jordan Fisher was in it as well. Okay. As Anthony. Again, phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, as good as you can be, Anthony's kind of a wet noodle, but... It's that kind of a character, It's you know? the character's just like, hey! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But he did a great job with what he was written. Yeah. Um, and Annalie Ashford as Mrs. Lovett, carried that show. Yeah. I hear they're doing a cast recording, uh, which is very exciting. It's not been, like, confirmed or anything, but it's there are rumors running around the rumor mills. But I am very excited for that, because she had me dying laughing. Now, didn't she and Jake Gyllenhaal do, like, a stage or in-concert version of this? They did Sunday. That's, I'm sorry, it was Sunday in the Park with George. I knew they, it was a Sondheim show. Yep, and she... I have that recording. And I listen to it regularly. It's a, it's a decent recording. Yeah, she's great in that. And And even he's good in that. I was surprised with how good Jake was. (laughs) Right. But she killed it. Her By the Sea, which is I don't typically think of as a a very funny number. Oh, see, it it, it depends on the staging. That's the thing, right? Depends on the staging. She had me crying, laughing. It was so funny. She really carried the show on her back. And I feel bad that she had to. Yeah. Because the show's called Sweeney Todd. I know. Not Mrs. Lovett. Love uh, but oh my god, she was so, so funny. And the staging, the staging was okay. It was kind of like this weird middle ground between minimalism and like a classic Broadway really? production. Yeah, like they had the arch that was brick and they would roll on these big set pieces. Okay. But a lot of it was just like, okay, then we'll, but we'll just bring a table here. And which was, it felt weird and like half-assed in both directions. I mean, like I saw the production of Sweeney Todd 
Bar with Harry Lebone and Michael Cervantes. Yeah. In which, again, the actors played the instruments. Yeah. And it wasn't a big set area because you had, of course, the actors sitting as they're playing. The only set piece you had, really, was that gigantically huge bookcase, mm-hmm. all filled with various objects and everything. Yeah. And there really wasn't much else of a set, but... It was a small, confined area, so everyone filled the area. Yeah. You know? And that's my thing. I don't mind minimalism. And that's it. There was no no real chorus in the show. It was just the actors who were playing speaking parts. Full chorus. Everything. So it really felt like they were wishy-washy. Yeah. If you're going to do that, yeah, then you do the production. If you're going to go for the full chorus... And the big set pieces, you need to go for it, yeah. right? And I think the show would have benefited from that. Mm-hmm. But it really felt like the producers were just like, well, let's play it safe here. Let's play it safe everywhere we can so the most people like it. And it really fell flat. Wow, what a shame. Yeah, it was so disappointing. And I had high hopes for Josh, because I had seen him in a Great Comet like a million years ago. Yeah, I heard he was very good in that. Phenomenal. He Because I at the time, he was just fucking Josh Groban. He sings a Christmas song. Right, I know. You know, it's just fucking Josh. So he blew me away in that. So I had really high expectations of him for this. And I was so let down. That's the thing. Yeah, Sweeney Todd's more than just a singing role, you know? Yeah. It's a true acting role. The That's... character has an arc in the show, you know? Has a full arc. The best acting he did was in By the Sea, in which he has to sit there bored, which is what it felt like he was doing for the rest of the fucking uh, show no. anyway. And here's the thing. If you want to just record my friends, put it on one of your fucking albums. Josh, I don't need to be... I don't need to see a whole fucking show with you seeming like you just here for a fucking paycheck. Yeah. Because everybody else was trying their fucking damnedest out there, and it showed for everybody else. That's like when we saw this uh, off-Broadway production of The Seafarer with Matthew Broderick, and he was terrible in the show. But the rest of the cast, thank God, was great. Yeah. They were excellent. He was terrible. He was totally miscast. Bad decision, bad choices on stage, yeah. That's a shame when that happens. It really is. It's such a letdown. Right? I can't speak to that casting. I don't know what the fuck Broadway's doing. Bad Cinderella, Sweeney Todd. Uh, yeah, I know. We're it's, in the fucking dumps right now. It's like, yeah, it's like Broadway seems to be like all over the place right now. Yeah. Seeing what sticks to the walls, you know? I guess so. And you know what? The good shit's sticking because everyone who's good is getting raves. Yeah. Parade's gotten raves. A doll's house is getting raves. And the shit is getting kicked off. Here's to hoping we see Bad Cinderella go in the next month. Yeah, I know. I'm not hearing good things about that at all. I can't fucking imagine. Right? Oh, my God. (laughs) Parade was right across the street from the marquee for Bad Cinderella, and I was... Oh, Oh, God. God. I hated that I had to look at it. And was that all you saw, then? I saw one more show. Oh, what show was that? A little... An unknown little gem of a show in Lindenhurst. I believe it was called The Behanding in Spokane. Uh, uh, Bohanding in Spokane. Is that the Martin McDonough play? I believe so. I believe it's a Martin McDonough show. This one was directed by one John J. Steele Jr. Yes. Starring our one and only Patrick Finn. Well, I was a star and it was, it's an ensemble piece. It's an ensemble. All four of you starred. If it was yes. an ensemble of 16, there would be no stars. Yes. But an ensemble of four, uh, you can say everyone stars. Uh, and how did you enjoy the show? I very much enjoyed the show. I love the style of show that it is. It's a very witty, wordy piece. Yeah. Um, and, oh, uh, God, the entire cast was phenomenal. You, 
Rohan, Rosie, and Scott were all yeah. very good. I thought it was one of the funnier things that I've seen on the island in the past year. Oh, good. I very much enjoyed that one. I don't know if everyone... Appre- some of the, I don't think some of the audience members who saw it appreciated the twisted sense of humor in this play. It's a hard one to get behind, certainly. Um, Just through the use of the vulgar language alone can put a lot of people off. Well, yeah, well, yeah, because racial epithets are used in the in the play. Yeah, especially in in the first few minutes. I feel like Martin McDonough was really trying to weed out the people who are like, "Oh, well, that's not for me." In the first like twenty minutes of the show, it gets like, "Oh my god, (laughs) Jesus Christ." The show opens with a gunshot. Yes, it does. Someone getting shot in the closet. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, he doesn't get shot. You're well, shooting well, next uh, to him. Beside his head. Beside his head, yes. <laughs> but that's how the show opens, and is immediately followed by a, a storm of racial epithets. Yes. Um, so it is very, like, well, this is the night of theater you're in for. And if you're all right with that, you'll love the show. And if you're not, you won't. Well, what I was surprised by in this production, because not only is the N-word used, but my character says the word fag. Yeah. And that, I say like twice in the show, and that was getting some of the bigger laughs in the show. Really? Yeah. Where at the same time, when I first, when I, my character first says the N-word, I heard a little, <gasps> you know, like, oh my God. There were gasps. I heard one the first, on the opening night, but the word fag got big laughs, and I was just like, that's a little disconcerting. Well, if I can... Say the least. If I can, from my perspective, I laughed both times it was said, because I think it was used to be comical. I guess, yeah. Right? And I'm also... I also know you, so it's kind of comical for me to hear you, Patrick Finn, say, stop being a fag. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I know. So for me, it's one thing. And but it's, it's just weird to hear. It's weird to hear one epithet used against one group that gets a laugh, and the other one does not get a laugh. At yeah, all. it gets a shock response. Yeah, I think I laughed a few times that the N word was said. Okay. When you were talking, because my character isn't the only one to say it. The black character the black says, it. says it. In fact, I think his character says it more than yeah. my character does. I think when you were on the phone with your mother saying like. That doesn't mean I'm not a racist. I'm still a racist. And I think it was said a few times there. I could be mistaken. But that whole conversation, oh my God. That's a great scene. It was so funny. The mother is the best character in the play and And you never see her. she's never even on stage. You never see her. She's just the phone conversation. Yeah, it's so good. Right? Oh my God, I love it. That was a fun play to do. I can imagine. Really? I don't think I've ever seen it done on Long Island before. No. I don't know of anyone who's done it. You don't see a lot of McDonough performed at community theater. No. I don't know if it's because of the language or the subject matter, but... But it's all built for community theater. He doesn't have any, like, big productions. No, I know. It's all very kind of limited. They're all they're all they're small casts. It's, yeah, they're all very localized as far as the action and everything. Yeah, but it's I guess it's not every theater company's <laughs> cup of tea. I get it. Just because I like it doesn't mean it's for everyone. I think of him as like the Quentin Tarantino of theater. Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt, that's why I think of him as. That reminds me. I need to watch that this weekend. What's that? Uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? I started it with Indy. Indy didn't know that it wasn't. Because the title sounds 
creepy and horror-y. Well, yeah. But if you know Martin McDonough, you know that's not no. what he writes. It's going to be a twisted comedy. Yeah. Which it is. Of course. And starring Colin Farrell and... Oh, what's his name? Gleason. Martin, Brendan Gleason. Brendan Gleason, who... We're together in another McDonough in Bruges. Yeah, in Bruges. One of my favorites. So I knew going in exactly what it was going to be. Indy did not. So we sat down to watch it together. We got 20 minutes in and Indy said, is this not a horror movie? <laughs> and I was like, no, we can turn it off if you want. And we did. So. Oh, that's very funny. I will be finding time on my own. To yes, watch please that one. do. It's worth watching. Oh, Most my definitely. God. Just from the clips that I've seen, it seems so funny. It is a good movie. Yeah. It really is. I mean, that's where the story goes. It's, yeah, quite a good movie. Yeah. But was that all you watched? I, that's all of the new stuff I watch. I watch my regulars. You know, I had MasterChef on all week in the okay. background of everything. Uh, yeah, that's really kind of... I was burnt out on new stuff after well, I, I actually... We managed to fit in quite a few things to watch, actually. Ooh. Well, we finished watching the 1619 Project on Hulu. How was that? That was fan-fucking-tastic. It's a really good examination of how so much of American culture is based on black culture. Yeah. And how a lot of the current injustices being suffered by minorities stem from the history of slavery. Yeah. And it shows... That's what I really liked, how... connects the past with what's going on in the present. And it covers, each like episode covers different areas. Like One of the best episodes is all about music Ooh. and basically the rise of black popular music after World War II. Yeah. And, and But it goes back even further, saying how black music originated during slavery and everything, and yeah. how, how it was co-opted later on by the white man. It's an amazing series. I, I highly recommend it. I've been looking at that one for a little bit. It's it definitely it's like I think it was like five or six episodes. Okay, so nothing. Yeah, it's not you know not overly long. Yeah, but it's it's worth the watch. You'll you'll learn quite a bit. I good. know I did. I definitely did. So that was really good. Then we watched the finale of The Mandalorian. I have not watched. This you have season. not watched. It. Oh, I'm all a bad right. Star Wars fan. Ah, uh. I I did watch the last of us. Of us, which I hear is the same plot, him escorting a child. <laughs> so, <clears throat> in a matter of speaking, yes. Only the child he's escorting in the Mandalorian is green and has long pointy ears and has the force. Yeah. <laughs> and Ellie in The Last of Us can use a gun, so. Right? But I watched the finale and I, I said this to somebody else. I said, I thought, I said, I, the finale seemed truncated. Mm. It seemed like it just came to this abrupt end. Ugh. I just thought that it felt like there was something missing from it. Also, I mean, spoiler alert, so you may want to skip five minutes ahead because I'm going to give us something away right now. So, spoiler alert, they kill the bad guy who they've been building up. Okay. He dies, Moff Gideon. Yeah, fine. Who is in from last season. Giancarlo Esposito plays Yeah, oh, beautiful. And they bring him back in this season. Okay. And they have his battle, I guess, and he's dead, and I was like, that's it. I was expecting some. I was expecting something more. Maybe my expectations were too high. 
But, but I, I just mean, saw I just thought the episode it was lacking somehow. Yeah, I, but I mean, if a show's gonna build like that, you know, if your expectations are where they are, it's not because it's not your fault. I know the show did it. Yeah, so like you need something. Yeah, I, guess. I, was, I was I was expecting more from this finale episode. I mean, this season, just from like the bits and pieces that I saw, seemed less serious and intense. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, first it was about him going to Mandalore so he could bathe yeah. in the waters to uh, forgive his sins. Mm-hmm. And it covered all that, and then it got the you know it developed it developed from there about the planet not being as poisoned and tainted as they were led to believe. Okay, and then they talk about re- reviving the Mandalorian culture and the people. So it goes somewhere. Yeah. It's not the dramatic high tension story that we've seen in the past. Yeah, which you, know? you can't sustain that forever. Of course not. Of course I get not. it. Yeah, exactly. Do some introspective stories. Right? Fine. Yeah. But I, I thought it was an okay season. It was an okay. But I, the, I thought the finale was just missing something. Yeah. Then, there's, I watched the, well, I watched the whole season of, but the finale of Star Trek Picard. I haven't yet. Fucking amazing. Was it? Oh my god. Good. This was the season and finale that fans of Star Trek The Next Generation have been waiting for. Really? Good. Because the last film was what? I think Star Trek Nemesis with them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a satisfactory ending. Data dies at the end of it, and things are left hanging with everything else. Yeah. So it was never really satisfactorily ended with those characters. And they were beloved characters. Yeah. Because uh, the series ended well. I thought these, when they was the series to an end originally, they ended it great, but then they brought them back for the movies. But then they mm-hmm. brought them back for this last season of Picard, which I think was their smartest move in all three seasons on the show. Good. It was a great season. <laughs> like I said, they logically and realistically bring all the characters back. It's good. just not like they just like pop up for no good reason at yeah. all. There's a read for where the characters are, where they are at this point in time. Okay. And it, it's just, it's, it was great to see them all again. It's great to hear the banter between some of the characters that you've yeah. like, heard in the past. And it ended up, the show ended on an upbeat note. They're hinting that possibly they're going to continue the series. Ooh. Not Picard itself. He's going to be gone. But they're yeah. hinting at because at the end they unveil a new Starship Enterprise. Ooh. They rechristened a ship called the Titan that was all in the episodes. Yeah. They rechristened the Enterprise G. Okay. And Seven of Nine has made the captain of it. Ooh. And her girlfriend or whatever who is working with Worf, she's on the ship. Okay. And also Picard's son with Dr. Crusher. Uh, and so it looks like they might be doing a spin-off series with them, which if they are, I'm all for. Oh, I'm yeah. like, oh my god, this would be fucking great. So, big, big thumbs up to Star Trek Picard's third season. We'll watch. Fan-fucking-tastic. I have Paramount. I should be watching these things. Yeah, right? I, mean, I know. I, just, I just don't have time. I'm in so many shows. Oh my god. I've been doing non-stop shows since, like... October. I know, I know the feeling. Rehearsing, so it's like, all right, home, rehearsal, sleep, so. Then we watch some mindless entertainment also. Well, as if some of that may not be mindless. Well. But we watch the two murder mystery movies with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Okay. They were actually a lot of fun, those movies. Good. The first one's better than the second one, but I love Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler together in this. I'm not even a big Adam Sandler fan. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of his earlier movies. Yeah. 
But he and Jennifer Hannison are really, really good together in these movies. I mean, they have chemistry. Yeah, they really do. They really, they really work well together. Their movies are a lot of fun. I think it was on Hulu. No, it was on Netflix. We saw the both of them. But like I said, the first one is better than the second one, but yeah. it's mindless fun. Pull up some popcorn yeah. and enjoy, you know? Absolutely. That's what you need. Then, last, was it last night or the night before, we watched the Halloween's End with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. Which is the finale of these Halloween movies, supposedly. Thank God. It was meh. Yeah. It was, it was meh. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was... Nah, could have lived without it. I think they wanted to capitalize since Scream came back. Yeah. Scream's doing really well, because they, honest, they took the new one. I saw it in theaters, I believe. Yeah. They took it in a whole new direction. And you said They're it was good. In New York, I loved it, and a lot of people did, so they probably saw that, and they were like, well, you know what we I mean, they do. brought back Jamie Lee, of course. You which, have to. You know, you have to bring back Jamie Lee. After all this time, and they know that when they did H two O, and then the other one before this one was yeah. Halloween Kills something, and now uh, there's this one. Uh, they should have just nah. You, you don't need to watch it. Don't wait. Don't bother. Yeah. I if won't. you need closure on it somehow, then then watch it. But the story, it yeah, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I can't imagine they've. It's so played out. Halloween yeah. is one of those that they just kept fucking. There's, doing. Well, for, first of all, there's nothing like the classic original. You know. Oh my god. Nineteen seventy nine. Best fucking horror movies of I, all time. I saw it in the theater when it first came out. I remember yeah. what it was like and how scary it was in the movie theater. And it was a, a trashy classic horror yeah. movie, you know? But it's a classic. It is. It's a classic horror movie. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's not the same watching... It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're done. But so that was it for me for love. We like to watch. Was there anything else? No, that's everything. Ooh, a big week in watching. Yes, it was. Go figure, right? Had some catching up to do. I know. We normally go on to stupid people, but I didn't find any particularly significant stupid things being said this past week. You know, the usual bullshit from the politicians. Yeah, that's... But I was just like, no, nothing really way out stupid was really was said this week. Yeah, it's played out. So we're going to move on to our next segment. Julie Andrews, take us away. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Uh, and tonight for our five phase, being that we were celebrating Disney fighting back against uh, Ron DeSantis, I figured for our five phase tonight, we would name our five favorite Disney films. Yes. And just so you know, we excluded like the Marvel films, the, the Lucas films. We're talking about the films made by Disney Studios. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. That's here. what we'll do this week. <laughs> So do you want to go first or shall I? I'll go first with my honorable mention. Okay. Uh, as the first Disney movie I saw okay. on VHS at my mother's parents when I was but a wee tyke. Uh, it was it's Alice in Wonderland. Really? It was my first Disney movie. Oh my god. It's like one of it's the first Disney movie I ever remember seeing. I was sitting on the floor of the playroom. It had to have been late and I was like, "All right, bedtime. We'll throw in a VHS or whatever." And it was Alice in Wonderland and I loved that movie. I still love it to this day. It's been too long since I saw it. But yeah, that's my honorable wow. mention for my first Disney movie. Wow. Well, my aunt I have an honorable mention also and it's because it's the first one I saw, 
I believe mm. I even saw it in the theater. Ooh. Because back then, this is the 60s we're talking about, they actually played, replayed these old Disney yeah. films in the theaters. Bambi. Bambi. Yes, oh. I put Bambi on there. That's a good I don't one. have it in my five phase because Bambi's mom dies. It's so, so I, sad. I can't say it's in my top five. That scene always gets me, you yeah. know? Yeah. But I had to put it as an honorable mention. It is a great movie. It's a classic. Right? So what else is on your list of your five faves? All right. And I have this in order. Usually I just kind of throw things together. Ah, okay. But I actually have them in order this time. Ooh. Number five, if not for the soundtrack alone. Okay. Phil Collins did magic. It's Tarzan. It's gotta be Tarzan. The soundtrack, the Phil Collins... I was not expecting that, but you're such a different generation in my life. Yes. <laughs> I, but, like, when I think of, like, Disney movie soundtracks... Okay. And Phil, the work that Phil Collins did on Tarzan, and how good all of the songs are, they didn't have to be that good. Phil could have phoned it in, <laughs> but he didn't. And you know what? Number five, absolutely Tarzan. Oh, my God. Tarzan. <laughs> Number five on my list, I'm going to try to put him in some kind of an order, uh, is one of the live action films. Ooh. And this was from the 60s. The Love Bug. The l I don't think I've ever even heard of this It's one. a story of Herbie, a Volt yellow Volkswagen. Oh, Herbie, yeah. All the crazy adventures they go on. I think Robert Morris was in that movie as well, too. He got everywhere back then. Yeah, he was getting around. <laughs> But I remember seeing that as a kid. Yeah, The Love Bug. So I had to have that on there. Okay. Fun movie. I loved Herbie. Herbie's great. Come on. <laughs> Herbie. Oh, you gotta love him. So what's number four on your list? Number four is a very early use of animation and live action put together. Ooh. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, I thought uh, you were going to say something else, but... Oh, is that something else on your list? Maybe. We'll find Ooh. out soon. Oh, well, yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Who Framed Rabbit? Roger Rabbit. Great movie. Yes, that is. It's an excellent oh, movie. Oh, my God. It holds up. Terrific blending of animation and live action. Perfectly the tributes done. tributes to... The past animators, yeah, past cartoon characters, and uh, the comedy in that movie. Oh, it's great! It's so funny. Yeah, One it really is really well done. Movie. Movies. Bob Hosman starred in oh that. Christopher Lloyd. How did I forget Christopher Lloyd? And Kathleen oh Turner God. as the voice of Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. Yep. An awakening for many a young boy. Mm. <laughs> oh, what a great... I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. <laughs> <laughs> what a line. Right? Great line. Oh. <laughs> All right, number four on my list. There's also a blend of, I think, live action animation, although I don't know if it was the same done the same way. And it starred Angela Lansbury. Ooh. We're talking about bed knobs and broomsticks. Oh my god. I, I bet you've never even seen this I film. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it a lot. It takes place during World War II in okay. England, and Angela Lansbury is a witch. Ooh. And she has these adventures with these two kids and this other man in the movie. And at the end, there's a, an invasion of Germany, and there's this museum of all these medieval soldiers, so she animates the the, the, the knight's uh, armor and everything to fight against the invasion. Of course. But they have all this gr great stuff. There's like a whole underwater sequence with all the live characters Ooh, underwater. That. 
It was a fun movie as a that kid. Really, really did. It like was really it's a lot of fun. Cute little soundtrack. There's something a couple of songs thrown in there. Fun movie. I recommend it for all kids of all ages. <laughs> this 25 year old kid will be watching it shortly. I'm sure. Right. All right. What's number three on your list? Number three for me. Another one that's well known for its soundtrack, but it's not on here for the soundtrack. Written by Danny Elfman, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ah, wow. I, it is an October to December staple in the Powell Johnson household uh, because sure it's it's a Christmas movie but it's also a Halloween movie yes it's, it's two holidays in one <laughs> exactly you get it from October to December but I love that movie Danny Elfman his singing in the whole film is Jack absolutely phenomenal the, the, the stop motion alone is so well done yeah absolutely amazing and Tim Burton not as involved as you'd think. He was not the one who directed it. Yes, I know. Yeah. He was mostly a producer on that. Yep, he was a producer, and of course, as author of the original story, he had input. But, but you can see his stylist yeah. touches, too. Everyone's you know? big eyes and looks like they're anemic. <laughs> All right, so number three on my list, The Jungle Book. Oh yeah, the original, not the not the live action one. No, no, no. We're talking about the original Jungle Book. The jungle Book. Because when I was a kid, I loved Baloo the Bear. What a great character! Of course, Baloo's the best. Right, great freaking character. Oh. That song, Bear Necessities. It was. I love that movie. How could you not love that movie? It's so good. So many great characters in that movie. The orangutan was the orangutan. Yeah, the orangutan. And everything. Oh my god, fantastic movie. How can you not love that? It's a fun, good movie. I have memories at my dad's parents of the same thing, sitting on the floor and watching the VHS. Oh, no. Just because it was, you know, that was the one they had. But oh, another one that was so good. Right? Exactly. You know, everyone's getting drunk upstairs. Let's put the child downstairs yep, with the Jungle Book. book. <laughs> 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 All right, what's number two on your list? Number two on my list, uh, it was my mom's favorite Disney movie. So it holds a very special place in my heart. It's The Little Mermaid. Oh. Yeah, I love The Little Mermaid. I think the story is beautiful. And the music again, Alan Menken. Oh, it's, you know. Are you having a hissy fit over the black Little Mermaid? No, I think she'll be great. I know, right? I see the, the whole promo of the trailers. Like, She's going to be fantastic. She's going to be phenomenal. She's... And people are losing their minds over it. It's like, shut Absolutely the fuck up. fucking insane. Right? Let people be happy and play the roles they want to fucking play. Yeah. It's never, she's, it's not the white mermaid. It's just the little mermaid. As long as she's little, I'll be fine. Like, it's like, uh, yeah, too much. But good choice for your film choice. There. Right? Thank you. My number two choice, it, it almost made number one, but this was my number two, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Classic. Yeah. The original. Yeah. yeah. It's just. It's it's I still I'm a, I, I still find it amazing to watch because it yeah. is it's one of the Disney's earlier films. Isn't it their first? I don't know if it's their first or not. I don't know. For some in my head, for some reason, I have it bouncing around. But I first. just think it's such an amazing film, such a funny film. Oh my god! Grumpy, of course, is always my favorite dwarf. Uh, I was I loved Dopey, <laughs> so. <laughs> I think these things work out. Don't yeah, they? right. Somehow that works out. Yeah, but how, yeah, how, Snow White number two. Number yeah. two for me. So what's your number one choice? My number one choice, uh, my favorite Disney movie of all time. Uh, I watch it and I turn into a kid again. 1953's Peter Pan. 
Really? Yes. I did not think you were going to say that. I love Peter Pan. Okay. I will sit down on the floor like I am a child watching the VHS again. Oh my god. I am enchanted every single time I watch it. I am truly taken wow. into the world of Peter Pan. Oh yeah. my god, that's so funny. I get emotional every time. Now we're talking about the animated Peter Pan, right? The 1953 oh, okay. animated Peter Pan. <laughs> I have seen the stage production that's on film. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I've also seen Peter Pan Goes Wrong. Absolutely hilarious. Oh, I'm sure, right? It's so funny. I, you think you can find it on Amazon? Check that. You should oh, watch it. Okay. It's definitely. a riot. Oh, God. But the original, Peter Pan, it is. it holds such a special place for me, and I... Don't know why, because it's not my first. Yeah. It didn't come out when I was young. Right, but it just struck you somehow. It just, I was, I think, swept away to the world of the Lost Boys the first time I saw it. Okay. And I've been there ever since. Well, my number one choice, and it probably is because it's a great blend of animation and classical music, which when I was growing up, because I was playing the violin, and I liked classical music back then, I still love it now, Fantasia. Yes, of course. Fantastic movie. It's just yeah. every single sequence. The dancing hippos. Oh my god. The sorcerer's apprentice. The sorcerer's you apprentice. You know, the that's probably the most famous sequence. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic film. I know they made a Fantasia 2. Don't even bother with that. Watch the original. You gotta watch I, I think Fantasia 2000 has its merit. But it does. It's okay. If you take it as its separate thing, you can't think about the original if you're watching it. Yeah. The original is miles miles better. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely one of Disney's crowning achievements, oh my I god, think. yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Great movie to watch. I, I'm so mad that wasn't on my list. <laughs> I, I, when you were talking before, I was like, he must mean Fantasia. He must mean Fantasia. No. No, no he did not. It was Peter Pan all along. Wow. Well, we'll now move on to our next segment. Take us away, Mr. Eastwood. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said, get off my lawn now. You heard the man. Yes, it's time for the oh, grumpy old gay men gripe of the week. And what's your gripe this week, Bryce? My gripe is one you are particularly familiar with. Ooh. My gripe is the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> I cannot stand the fucking Long Island Railroad. And why is that? So I am on, I live in East Northport, which is not on a particularly commonly used L-I-R-R line. Okay. I am on the Huntington line, which is the furthest out it goes. Yes. And I have to go to the Huntington. That's on the North Shore of yes, Long Island. Yes, the North Shore. North Shore isn't used as often as the South Shore. No, it is not. I have my opinions on it. I still need to get to Manhattan, too. I know. But both nights that I went into the city this week, um, and I did it two nights in a row, which is probably why this is my gripe, because I dealt with this shit twice. I Getting in was no problem, because we weren't in a rush. We both get out of work at about five. The show's not till seven or eight. Get the train, you see it. Getting back to Penn Station. You're always in a rush. Nobody wants to walk quickly enough for you. I'm bumping into people. Not apologizing. It's 11 p.m. in the city. Walk with a purpose. <laughs> we all have somewhere to be. Act like it. That was almost my greatest. People oh my walking God. like idiots. So I'm rushing to the station the first night because we have an 11.13 to catch. Parade's about 2 hours, 45 minutes. It yeah. started at 8. So by the time we're, we both pee, get out of the theater, it's 11. We're on 45th, so it's nothing crazy, but we gotta... 
motor. Yeah. We've got to get down to 33rd. We get there. For the first time in the entirety of my life, the train is on time. <laughs> I get on the train, buy the tickets at the station, on the train on my phone. And they never checked our fucking tickets. <laughs> I activated them and everything. Never checked our fucking tickets. I was so mad. If they were physical, maybe I wouldn't be mad. Well, the tickets are good for a certain amount of time, right? Once you activate them, they're only good for 90 minutes. Really? On your phone. If you do it on your phone, you have to activate the tickets. Wow. And they're only good for 90 minutes. A uh, physical one, I think, is 90 days. Yeah, or 30 exactly. days or something like wow, that. Wow, they really jip you on that. Holy they shit. fuck you with that. And that, I was Damn. pissed about that. And then, you know, it's the hour train ride and people are drunk and loud and... You stop at every fucking station, even though who the fuck is getting off at Forest Hills? Take a fucking subway, all right? Like the fucking rest of us. The second night, we're sprinting back to the station because a lot of the Huntington line doesn't show up on the app. So when you're looking through the app to be like, okay, what time's my train? Yeah. There was an 11.13 that we caught both nights that wasn't on the app either time. Uh, so no. we were figuring, okay, I'm very used to the South Shore, which runs hourly, right? Your train to Babylon runs every hour on the hour, quote unquote. This is the LIRR I'm talking about. Right. But they're scheduled for every hour on the hour. So we get to the station at like 10.05 because Sweeney Todd was much quicker. It started an hour earlier. Okay. We're out. We're at the theater, uh, at the station. There's no fucking 10.15 train. Oh, no. So I'm in fucking Penn Station for an hour. We go to a pizza place. Rose's still isn't back open yet, mind you. So we go to a fucking pizza place in Moynihan Hall. Eat this shitty pizza. No beer there. And I wait an hour for a train. That's delayed 20 minutes. Oh, no. So I'm not leaving New York until almost midnight. Yeah. And then this train driver decided that he wanted to catch the fucking scenery. So what should have been about an hour, hour 10 train ride took us an hour and 30 minutes. Oh, my God. To get from Penn Station to Huntington. Oh, which geez, I, that's insane. I have ridden that train many times, right? Since... I moved out, what, November? I've taken that train every time I go into the city since. Should be an hour. Yeah. Hour and 30 fucking minutes. We didn't Jesus. pull into Huntington Station until 1. So I'm not home until fucking yeah. 1.30 because I'm not speeding home because I had a drink in the theater. I'm not trying to get... I'm sober, but I don't want to get fucking breathalyzed. You know. And I was fucking furious that night. I took four Benadryl and passed the fuck out when I got home. But oh God. fuck the LIRR. I'll do that, right? God. Yep, I know. I don't miss that one bit. No. Not once. Ugh. I miss it. Oh, God, please. My, my grump of the week concerns some horticulture. Last summer or last spring, we had our landscaper plant two bushes. In front of our fence in the front yard. Yeah. And they were growing nicely. I took care of them. They were young plants and everything. I followed his instructions on watering them. They are growing nice all year. Fall, fall comes, winter comes. They're doing okay and everything. Yeah. This past Saturday, we got like hit with like major rain up here. Yeah. Major rain. And the next day, I go outside and I'm walking the dog in front of the house and I see the two bushes and one of them looks almost bare and I go over to it and all I see is this big pile of leaves on the ground around the bush what the fuck like what the hell happened the other bush was perfectly fine. It's the same, pe yeah, it's the it's same, the same plant. plant. It's like what? what the fuck? So I call my land. I 
texting my landscaper and I sent him photos and he's like, oh, he goes, it probably went into shock from the storm. Just uh, give it some liquid miracle Grow, which should be okay. I'll check it when the next time I come over to cut the grass. And he actually stopped by and did check and he said, there is new growth on the bush. But I'm like, yeah, but why did this come off in the first place like that? It's an outdoor plant. Right? Rain shouldn't be a fucking issue. And we paid a lot of money for these bushes, you know? They're like, they were like $300, I think. I'm fucking... So, yeah, this bush better recover. Yeah, I spend too much time, money, and effort working on my yard, you know? It'll be my fucking gripe if it doesn't recover. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ! Right? Unbelievable. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of this week's episode. And we want to thank Avery Bryce Dallas Howard Powell for showing up tonight at the last minute to fill in for us. Thank you for having me. Greatly appreciate it. I'm sure Tommy will appreciate it. He'd better. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully we will have Tommy back here next week. And we want to thank Stephen, who supplied us with tea and uh, Boston cream donuts and yes. chocolate chip oh, cookies during was, the podcast. Those some good donuts, too. <laughs> yes, those were good donuts. Well, I don't know what kind they were, but they were good. Yeah, I haven't had a donut in forever. Right? <laughs> Probably not since I lived here. Yeah, right? But anyway, don't forget, you can find all of our episodes, plus our bonus material at www.groupyoldgaymenandtheirdogs.com. And you can also follow our daily postings on Facebook and on Twitter. Ooh. Yeah. So anything else you want to add, Bryce? Uh, nothing else this week, I don't believe. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, come see Complete Works of William Yes, please come Bridge. see the Complete Works of William Shakespeare Bridge at the South Shore Theater Experience, located on Wellwood Avenue in Lindenhurst on Long Island. What are those dates again, Bryce? Those dates are May 19th. May 21st, 24th, 26th, and 27th. All right. And you can go to South Shore uh, Theater Experience's website and get more details and reserve tickets. Yes, you can. And you can also get more information about Bryce's uh, appearance in the upcoming production of The Shape of Things, also at the same theater in June. Yes, the same theater. The following month, I want to say less than a month later. Yes. About a week off after we close. Yeah, right? Oh, my God. That's a lot. Yeah. June 9th, 10th, 11th, 15th. Through 17th. Very cool. Thank you. I don't know if tickets are on sale to that one yet. Probably not, yeah. We're quite a ways out. Yeah, we've got got some time on that one yet. All right, so we're going to sign off now. Uh, You cannot say goodbye, bitches, because Tommy says he has a copyright on it. Oh, he has a copyright? Yeah. Okay. So, on that note, we'll say have a good night, have a good week, have a good life, and we'll see you next time. Bye now. That'll do it.